Welcome to the Go Lead Everything podcast. Do you aspire to become the best leader you can be? Then come along with me and GLE. Faith, love, integrity, courage. Four key values of great leaders all around the world. I'm Phil Swanson, and I'm on a mission to bring you leaders from all walks of life and arm you with the tools and mindset to lead effectively in whatever you are called to do. Are you ready? Because it's time to go lead everything. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Go Lead Everything podcast. On today's show, we get the opportunity to hear from a financial educator who is fiercely committed to equipping and empowering people with the information and resources to thrive across all facets of life. This guy came from Croatia to the U.S. back in the mid-90s with just 40 bucks in his pocket, and he's living proof that the American dream is still well within reach. After spending over 17 years in financial and insurance services, he committed his resources and expertise to truly providing people with a financial education which is why he founded Squire LLC. I am pleased to welcome the founder and CEO of Squire, Daniel Velichki. Welcome to GLE. Dude, you crushed that. That was awesome. <laughs> I appreciate it, brother. I've had a little experience, a oh, little practice. I, I love it because every time somebody reads my bio, that that like I started with a hundred bucks, then 80 bucks, and now it's 40 bucks. <laughs> like, it keeps getting lower. I came to total destitute. Like I had no money. I was in debt right off the bat. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Pretty soon you'll be that's on undercover right. billionaire and you'll be like, ah, I don't need the money. I'll, I'll make yeah, it. It's fine. Yeah. Right. It's great. Yeah. Hopefully. Nice, nice, nice. <laughs> well, welcome Thanks to the show, man. Me, man. Welcome Absolutely. to the show. Yeah. I'm glad we got to do this. I've um, been really impressed hearing about what you're doing and your mission uh, with financial education. So I'm thrilled to have you share with our audience. Before we get into the details, you know, I know you got a long story. Go ahead and give us the quick, you know, 180 foot view of, of what all daniel has done to get to where he is today oh geez there's a there's a book man <laughs> no so uh yeah thanks for having me dude this is this is awesome and i love sharing my story just because i if if one person you know after hearing it thinks that they can what they thought they couldn't that's that's worth the time it's worth the effort it's worth everything especially what you're doing so i i appreciate that the the story is pretty i mean to me right all of our stories are easy and normal to us just because we've lived it and it's nothing special but you know i lived in croatia um was born in 77 so i lived through the whole communist thing then you know non-communist then the war in 91 to 94 and <clears throat> 95 and then i came to america right after the war so it's like august 5th was the end of the war august 6th was my birthday on august 11th i was on a plane to pittsburgh mm -hmm. um, as a foreign exchange student and uh <clears throat> was a foreign exchange student one year in high school and uh, the crazy part about the story is where it really began is the the uh, most amazing thing that only happens in America. So I was a you know 4.0 student. I got into all these colleges and stuff. And my parents always told me, hey, you know, stay. You got to figure out how to stay in America. Don't come back. You know, war torn country. It's all about who you know and what kind of connections we have. You know, we didn't know anybody. Didn't have any connections. No money. I so I uh, I walked to a restaurant that was uh, the best restaurant in town, and. Uh, came to the owner and I said, Hey, listen, you don't know me. Um, I knew his dad came from from Italy and started the restaurant back in the fifties. I was like, you know, I have no money, no connections, no green card, no work permit, no nothing, but I'm the hardest person you ever meet. I would love for you to consider to 
give me a job under the table. I'll cook, clean, do whatever, um, and pay for my school. And the guy looked at me and was like, okay. And I was wow. like, uh, excuse me, <laughs> I don't know where to go from here. So he was like, yeah, that's great. And, uh, got me, got me instant tuition and, um, four, four and a half years. I worked at that place, 60 plus hours a week. Wow. Um, and, you know, paid him off in cash every summer with the hours that I worked and tips that I got and paid for school and paid for rent and books and everything by myself. And, you know, graduated in 2000 with double major and, uh, no debt and owe everything to him. And, uh, it's been, it's, it's just, you know, that kind of stuff just doesn't happen. Right. Right. But, you know, I talked to him a couple of times afterwards and he was like, nobody's ever asked and nobody's ever, you know, had a kahunas to walk in and throw that on the table and be like, what do you think? <laughs> he was yeah. like, you know, I just saw a kid that really wanted to do something great. And I just, and he always says like, I just threw a little bit of, you know, gas on the fire. Right. And I was like, well, that was, that was a lot of gas, man. Was like the rest of my life is, was dependent on that conversation and him saying yes. Wow. But you know, the, the analogy for the rest of the life is just, if you just don't even take the shot, don't even try the chances are, you know, it's a hundred percent. No, but you know, everybody that ever hears it, they're like, wait, you were 18 and just walked to this restaurant and just, you know, just went and asked for that. I was like, yeah, yeah. What's the worst case scenario? <laughs> like, <laughs> anything besides that, it was like, I already had, so let's right. just, just see what happens. Yeah. But yeah, only in America, that kind of stuff happens, man. So it's, it's amazing. That's an incredible story, man. You know, yeah. I'm reminded of the the biblical principle, ask and you shall receive. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I don't know why, why, why do you think we're so afraid to ask? Um, what I learned is the same thing with entrepreneurship, right? People are very afraid of the the failure of the no of, of, you know, what if somebody says something that they don't want to hear, you know, that's why so many people are not great at sales. So many people are not great at, you know, taking the chance of doing something that they're passionate about because well, what if it doesn't work? Mm-hmm. What if it does? Like the, the chances are, if you put everything into it and you're driven by, by mission and passion, like what if it does work? But mm-hmm. that, that perception of security is so strong in people that anything that's out of the ordinary and uncomfortable, it just, it, it almost puts them into the analysis paralysis and they just can't move where, mm-hmm. you know, I was talking to a couple of my buddies who are um, also being either uh, veterans or entrepreneurs from somewhere else, you know, are... I believe our risk tolerance is just a little bit different. You know, mm-hmm. for me, you know, I ran from bombs and snipers and like, that was, that was a, you know, that was reality. So now like if this guy said, no, it's right. It's not life threatening kind of thing, right? It's perspective. just completely my perspective is different. So when it comes to, you know, building a business, doing things like the perspective is what's the worst that can happen. And, you know, I love that because even, you know, my wife and I have been married 20 years and I love the fact that, you know, we've trained each other and whenever we do stuff, we look at each other like, what's the worst case scenario? Can right. we live with it? Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. If we can't live with it, then we don't do it. But if we can live with it, like, all right, we're fine. Like, what's the worst case scenario? Are you good? I'm good. Yeah. All right, cool. Let's go. So, wow. So, uh, you know, it takes, it takes a team to be able to do that because, you know, she has to be of same thought process and understanding and everything. Cause it is, you know, entrepreneur's world is different than mm-hmm. most, right? But it's uh, it's pretty cool the way we, you know, can kind of work like that. I was listening to Grant Card- Cardone talk about mm-hmm. uh, how he teaches his kids the other day, and mm-hmm. uh, he was talking about how most parents teach their kids don't talk to strangers. Yeah, and Grant's like, I teach my kids the opposite. I teach them to talk to everybody because strangers have everything you could ever want. 
Yeah. And I thought that was just such an interesting mindset. You know, how many of us grew up with their parents saying, don't talk to strangers. I know I did. And I'm sure many others did, but you know, his philosophy is I'm not going to put my kids in a situation where they're around a bunch of strangers that are going to be, you know, putting them in negative situations. Right. I'm going to put them around the right kind of people. If you, if you think about it, it, you know, we're all, we're all conditioned that way because you think of the first grade, it's a bunch of strangers. You think of first mm-hmm. day of high school, it's a bunch of strangers. You think of first day of college, it's a bunch of strangers. So right. we condition our kids to be uncomfortable and not know how to get into a conversation and get into a group and be a part of something. Right. So I, we, we teach our kids the same way, but it's also the, so many people don't reach out to the people that can actually help them because they're just this this uh, feeling of like, I should not talk to anybody. I should, you know, keep my stuff to myself. Mm-hmm. I'll tell people, man, I am, I'm yelling my mission from the rooftops <laughs> because how do I know that I'm somebody that might not hear me that can open a door that I would never be able to open or that is as passionate right. and that can, that can propel me forward. Right. But nobody knows that if I keep it to myself, mm-hmm. it was, it was funny. I was on a panel. Um, this was years ago is I, I was on the panels, like successful entrepreneurs and stuff. There was four of us. And we're talking for a couple hours and then it was lunch. So mind you, we're talking systems, processes, you know, education, success, failure, you know, best practices and everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're at lunch and there's four of us at a big 10 top table and just four of us. Mm-hmm. Nobody comes the whole, like, you know, we're in the same gala, same, same area as everybody else. And <laughs> so nobody comes talks to us. So we get back on a panel afterwards and I was like, <laughs> I was, I'm pretty candid. And I was like, you people are so stupid. <laughs> like you paid to be here. You have four speakers that are spending time to tell you, to give you, to, to empower you with as much information that we can. Right. And then you had an opportunity to sit next to us for an hour. And not one person took the step to come down and go, hey, can I sit down and be able to have one-on-one conversations? Like I'm that asshole where I'm like, hey, you said you, you said you, you're okay with contacting me. Like I'll yeah, show yeah. up like the, right. the, the, it's just like, you know, people that are successful and, and they will tell you everything because mm-hmm. the more than likely, you know, everybody jokes that R and D is really rip off and duplicate. Like you've learned something from somebody and then you took it in your business and were able to implement it in a way that helps you. Right. I've so never heard like, that before. Rip off oh, and duplicate. It, yeah. R and D it's rip off and duplicate. And it. people will tell you, Hey, you know, it, if it fits into your business, take it, run with it. Because any successful person that I ever talked to, they love to give to the people that would actually do something with it, which, you know, you can kind of tell when somebody walks up to you and like, ah, this guy's right. just wasting my time. He's not going to take anything to implement compared to like the person's I was like, I'm sorry, what did you say? And then like writing it down and yeah. asking me the right questions and everything. I was like, right, oh, right, this right. kid, like this, this person's actually going to do something. Yeah. So it goes down to, you know, just being able to speak to somebody, but it teaches us from, you know, being kids. Sure. No, talk to people. Like you said, those are the sure. people that know everything, have the experience, have the knowledge and have the ability to kind of shine the light on the unknown in your life. Right. Because the way I look at it is mentors, coaches, um, teachers, they're at the end of the tunnel already. Mm-hmm. We're just getting to the tunnel. It's dark. Right. So they're the ones that can look back and shine the light and go, Hey, listen to my voice, listen to my experience, listen to my knowledge, listen to all the things that I've been through, through this tunnel and I'll guide you through it but so many people just don't reach out. Great wisdom. Great wisdom there. And um, let's go back, Daniel, to your, to your financial days in insurance and financial industry. What, what was your experience like there and, and how did that kind of 
propel you into wanting to financially educate people? Um, so <clears throat> coming to America, I was helped a bunch by a bunch of people. Like first the, you know, the restaurant owner, then families would show up because they knew there was a start of the semester, semester and knew that I needed books and stuff and leave me like hundred dollar tips on $20 bills oh, wow. just because they're like, Hey, this is for the books. So this is for rent. This is for, you know, whatever. That's awesome. So I always wanted to, yeah, people are amazing. If you share, right? right? I was always like, Hey, I'm broke kid from Croatia. Like, I don't know what I'm doing here, but I hope <laughs> I can make it. Right. So like, they just want to, and that's what I love about America. People want to lift you up compared mm -hmm. to push you down, which is, which is amazing. But so I really wanted to give back. I wanted to make my life a giving life because I've gotten so much. So naturally, the, the most giving people, I believe, are our doctors. You know, they, they save lives. They're there for us when in, in the biggest times of need where we don't know what the heck's going on. So I looked at applying for medical schools and took the GMAT and then I figured out how much money I don't have and how much time I don't have. And, you know, they don't really give uh, scholarships and stuff to foreign exchange students. And I was like, yeah, this is probably not an opportunity for me. But then um, I looked at finances and I was like, you know, finances can cause bad health. And if I can help people and teach them about finances, then I can help them generally. Right. So I changed my, my gears in college. Uh, then I worked in my mas uh, master's of financial services and got out of the business. I mean, got out of college and uh, it was kind of a long road because I, I interviewed with uh, Merrill Lynch, UBS, a couple other companies up in Pittsburgh. And I really quit the industry because everybody was just telling me what I was going to sell, how much money I'm going to make, how many people, you know, out of the phone book back then, it was phone books, um, I would have to call. And I was like, this is crap. This is just hard call selling. Like I'm not helping right. anybody. I'm not empowering or doing anything for anybody. So I quit the industry and I moved down to Virginia Beach with 7-Eleven, Southland Corporation. I was a management consultant for, you know, about 10 stores down in Virginia Beach. And uh, I hated it, whatever. But I ended up playing basketball with a guy that was a financial planner. And he was like, hey, let me take you out to lunch. I was like, man, I know what you do. Like you just sell crap. And he was like, no, seriously, <laughs> like, let me, I like the guy. So I went to lunch with him and um, he took me through this process of three, four or five meetings of just education, macro planning, like car insurance, homeowners, like protection, savings, growth, all this stuff. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I thought financial planning would be compared mm -hmm. to like, hey, you need an IRA and a mutual fund and like, let me just sell you crap. Right. And uh, so I tried to get a job with them. But mind you, I went from West Virginia to Virginia Beach within six months talking to this guy. And uh, they were like, hey, here's a, you know, project 100, write down 100 people that you know. And, you know, those would be the, the market first person that you would talk to. And I think I had 20 names and I made up six. <laughs> and they were like, uh yeah this is probably not business for you like you got nobody to talk to you have no natural market you have no capabilities mm -hmm. whatsoever you're kind of looking goofy and you have a you know an accent and i was like this sucks but i was like just give me a shot and there was this lady debbie i'll never forget her she went and um kind of went to bat for me with the with the owners and they gave me a job and on the first first my first 12 months out of 25 people that they hired i was the new agent of the year just wow. because <clears throat> I was just passionate about helping. I didn't mm -hmm. care what happened. I just wanted to really teach and help people. So I took this whole education thing to heart because I was like, people need to be empowered. And then all I'm doing is facilitating the learning and then helping them make the right decisions. But they know exactly what we're talking about, what options they right. have, the pros and cons and everything else. 
then I'm just an, an agent of education. I'm not selling anything. I hate it. I hate selling in general because I'm like, you sell to people because they're in a position of weakness because they don't know enough. You help people buy, they buy out of position of strength because they understand, they're taught, and they know exactly what they're doing. That's a, such a paradigm shift from a the way I saw the business. I'm like, no, I need to help people figure things out. All the options, you know, everybody says, hey, do the 401k. But then someone's like, no, don't do the 401k, do the Roth IRA, do this, do that. I'm like, right. just know it for yourself. You're different than everybody else. How does all this stuff fit? Understand the pros and cons, understand how stuff works right. and the income and everything right. else. So I really saw education to be the kind of the, the my vehicle to success and mm -hmm. people loved it um and, you know as you can invite are you married married yep married one kid okay all right perfect so you would understand this of course you know it's all commission business right so my wife obviously is like oh my gosh this is you know ups and downs and everything else like why don't you just get a you know a normal job you know right. I'm like i just i just uh I just feel like this is my calling. This is something that I was meant to do. Right. And in 2008, obviously, you know, the world came to an end. A couple of our friends, uh, husbands lost jobs and, you know, careers and stuff. And we went to dinner one night and she just out of nowhere goes, I get it. I was like, what do you mean? I get it. She was like, you bet on you. Nobody can fire you. You are great at what you do. You teach people. And my, my business grew like 80% that year just because I was the one that was teaching everybody about everything. And this was just one of those things that I was like, this can happen. It will happen. We just don't know when. So um, it was amazing. And then just kind of fell into the education part. I really got lucky. I started teaching at the Naval Special Warfare Units, Navy, Navy SEALs and EOD and stuff. And uh, just felt like there was not enough true empowerment education out there from a standpoint of financial literacy. And then mm -hmm. in 2017, I started writing curriculum um, for a business that now is Squire. Um, that's complete empowerment platform online, everything so that people can go in and really teach, I mean, learn everything they need to learn, not being sold by anybody. There's no products, none of that stuff. And uh, we got lucky um, last year, we won a contract with US Air Force. Um, wow. so we do financial wellness for all of them. It's a five-year contract and then a couple other big companies and things that we're working on. So it's been, it's been kind of a, a dream come true from like building something that I saw as a big need to mm -hmm. seeing it really used the way I saw it used. Um, I love, so it's been I, pretty cool. I want to go back to a point you made because I think it's super important. I, you, you replaced selling with helping and that's something that I've been thinking about a lot and you know, I feel like selling just has this negative connotation, but when, when you're thinking of it like that, when you're truly genuinely from your heart, just looking to help people, you, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing weird or sleazy. You think about the, you know, the, the used car salesman that everyone thinks about when, when they hear, yeah. you know, sales, right. Like good salespeople, they just are helping people. And, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're selling all the time and everything we do. And I, I don't think many people have that perspective either. Is that, uh, you know, as you yeah. go about your daily life, everyone's selling or helping other people all the time. Yeah. Right. It's just, I mean, that, 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 um, it's definitely, you know, something that's been seen as a bad thing. But when you think about it, salespeople usually have products that fix problems. The right. problem is that depending who they're working with, what kind of training they've had, it's always like, well, you know, the, the, the issue with any selling industry, it's always the, the, 
success is always based on the financial metrics, right? Mm -hmm. How much did you sell? How much did you make? You know, what were the quotas and how much you hit and how much you didn't. So it's not about how many families you helped, how many families you taught, how many families, you know, are better off or companies right. or whatever it is. So for me, it's always, you know, I, I tell, I tell people that I coach, I'm like, listen, I don't know if somebody's a millionaire or 50 grand in debt when I meet them, that has no no consequence to my process and education and outcome that they're going to get. I can't control whether they have stuff, they don't have stuff, but I can control the fact that my heart is all about teaching them, putting a position of understanding, empowerment, that they feel like they're in strength and know exactly what they need to do. Mm -hmm. So whether it's getting out of debt or putting away money into places that make sense for them and help them on taxes, liquidity, whatever it is, like I'm responsible for my part. All the other stuff, it's consequence of my part. So, mm -hmm. you know, I never know. And that's the, that's the beauty of it is that I really don't care. It really has no bearing on my, my passion for the process. Mm -hmm. And then whatever comes out of it, comes out of it. And, you know, whenever I started really only caring about their benefit, not mine, mm -hmm. my business blew up because I'm like, I don't really care what happens. It's just the fact that I know that I can teach and I can impact their life. And then everything else, if they want to do everything or nothing, mm -hmm. it's fine. I'm, right. I'm okay. I can sleep at night because I know I did what I needed to do. And then everything else is just a consequence of that. So when you think about sales, whether it's a program, whether it's a, a widget, whether it's whatever, you got to, I always think of it as like, what does it fix? What is the problem? What is the, what is right. the issue that people are having? And how can you make their life better, more efficient, save more time, do whatever? That's what you should be focusing on. Not mm -hmm. how many widgets you're going to sell. Right. It's how many opportunities of loss are you going to mitigate and give them whatever their, you know, thing is, whether it's yeah. time or more money or profitability, efficiency, effectiveness, whatever. So, 100%. you know, those are the things that people just, a lot of times it's management just because everything is always based on dollar metrics. So yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Who it's can help the most people, people solve that. the most problems? <clears throat> right? Yeah. Like I, if you think I, about it that way, I'll show you the, the top salesperson in their organization. hundred percent. Yeah. You know? So great transition into money mindset. I'm curious, Daniel, what, how would you describe a healthy money mindset to someone who may just be learning about finances and money? Healthy money mindset. So <clears throat> I'll start with this. The money is extremely personal and it is the relationship to money. I often see it being directly correlated to the conversations around the dinner table that this person has had all their life, <clears throat> whether, you know, parents were um, comfortable with it and openly talked about it and it wasn't a taboo theme and it wasn't something that was, you know, a bad thing to talk about, or you have the other side. It was, you know, even like you look at my, my parents, it was always paycheck to paycheck. I mean, I remember my mom every month, you know, taking the cash and putting in different stacks of this bill and this bill, but well, we're going to wait for this bill. And I was like, what are you doing? She was like, come sit down. Let me tell you how these things work and what I'm paying and how, you know, we make this. And then you have taxes and all that stuff. Wow. We didn't have much, but it was just not a forbidden conversation. Right. And for, so for me, money was not a a bad thing. It wasn't this like, oh my gosh, you never ask questions. You never talk about it, you know, yeah. family and all that stuff. I'm like, oh, great. What, what do you make? What do you get? You know, like, people are like, whoa, whoa, hold back. <laughs> so it's, it's completely directly right. correlated to how people have grown up with that. That goes into then asking for help, 
And I'll tell you, when we were building Squire, we were trying to figure out who is our client, who is the avatar of the person that needs us the most, right? So we tested middle schoolers, high schoolers, college kids, graduates, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, right? So <laughs> middle schoolers, high school kids, they couldn't care less about anything financial because there's no concept to it, right? They're not like, yeah. you know- They're, they're not, not making paying, any money typically. Not making so. any money. They're not paying for car loans. They're not, you know, have car right. insurance, home or any of that stuff, right? right, right. And then college students, some- and that was very directly like, oh, my dad always talked to me about that. Or they took me to the bank and they showed me the, you know, the car loan that they bought me and how much, in, in, how much interest works and all that right. shit. So it was like, all right, it was, it was an engaged conversation at the household. Then college graduates were like, holy shit, we have no idea what the fuck we're doing. It's like, you know, I started a new job. I have to sign for this apartment, the first last month rent and rent and credit. And then I have to buy car insurance. And I have this, you know, W4 that I have to fill out or nine or whatever the heck it is on taxes. And I got this handbook at work that had this 401k and dental and life and like all this crap, right? So they are completely confused with so many like it's coming out of a fire hose, right? So many yeah. decisions in such a short amount of time. And somehow you're supposed to know what the heck you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, so they're usually like, ah, we need it. And then you have the 40 year olds that are like, well, shit, I should know shit. I don't know shit. And I'm embarrassed to ask about shit you know, because I should know shit. So they're like, they're just kind of holding back. And we're like, yeah, hopefully this, you know, kind of works out right right because they feel embarrassed and they feel like they're going to be judged if they right. go somewhere to ask questions about uh -huh. and people will be like uh, you're already 20 years into this shouldn't right. you know like how interest works and simple math and compound math and like car insurance and umbrella policy <laughs> and llc for your rental property like oh, yeah. all this stuff but people just like nobody nobody teaches you that right right <clears throat> so why not you it think? was amazing i don't want to interrupt you but you, well is so, it some sinister plan of the elites or is it like <laughs> what what is it no, man i'm not i'm not throwing out figured like you know <laughs> conspiracy theories bro uh no it's it's honestly our society because the way you got to think about it right think of your parents or my parents they worked for dupont or ford or gm or whoever for 30 40 years got a gold watch and a paycheck for the rest of their life. And then social security was actually there for them. So you talk about a pension plus social security, like they were about 70, 80, 90% of their income when they retired for the rest of their lives. And then, you know, increasing for inflation and everything. So there was no true need to understand finances. There, you know, my father-in-law's first house was $23,000. You know, like that's what he lives in now. So, you know, my first house was $180,000 and then the last one was $600,000. God forbid we'll live in, you know, California where it's like 600 grand is like a room, <laughs> like a yeah. bungalow, maybe. Right. So you're making these huge, huge financial decisions. You know, a Chevy now is 70 grand, like, you know, for, for top, like it's crazy numbers. When you talk to our older generation, they're like, you spend $70,000 on a Chevy. I'm like, that's a good one. Like it wasn't even that crazy expensive. So but there was never, there was this void of no education along the way. But in the middle, middle of that, it was like, hey, by the way, no more pensions. We got now 401ks, this cool thing. And you get a 3% match and you get to invest all that yourself. You know how many people understand how mutual funds work when I ask him? Like 10. Yeah. like not You know what the savings rate in the United States of America is for people that are have a 401k with a match? 28%. So, which means that 72% don't even participate with free money because they don't understand. They just think it's something taken away. Right. Right. So right. there was just no, none of this, this 
follow-up of, of teaching, mm-hmm. but, and then the financial world, you're talking about attorneys, mortgages, you know, realtors, bankers, financial investors, and insurance, they're selling products. And I don't want to talk badly about it because there's a lot of fantastic ones in each one of those categories, but sure. it's easier to sell to a person that doesn't know a lot. They're ignorant. They don't know. And you're like, hey, it's okay. Just listen to me. I'll do you. I'll take care of you. They're charismatic. They're nice. They sell. And then, you know, three years later, five years later, you figure out that you signed up for a, you know, reverse mortgage that's like horrible for you when you're seven years old, or you signed up for, you know, what, 2008s when those interest only loans, negative amortization and stuff that people had no clue what the hell they're doing. Mm -hmm. But the mortgage guys were making, you know, crazy amounts of money on. Oh, sure. So, That's that's the issue. You have the the sales side of the financial world right. and void of education. Mm-hmm. So people tend to be in a situation where they're just being sold and it's too yeah. late by the time they figure out that something wrong. So it's so kind of like there's no sense. incentive for them to educate. <clears throat> no. Why would you? Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot easier to to put somebody into something that benefits you more than somebody else. Sure. Um, if they don't know about it. And they just kind of like you and you're a good guy. And is that, is that kind of what you were seeing in your experience in the financial services side? Which I was, I was seeing this and I got to tell you um, the transition from the financial services to building the platform was I had lunch with a, an awesome referral, Yale MD, I mean, wicked smart MBA. Um, and, you know, we went to lunch and he was like, you know, what do I need you for? You know, I know all about, you know, investments and portfolio management and data and risk and tolerance and everything else. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. great. You know, what's your car insurance? You know, you have a property in, in, a, in a different state. Is that an LLC? Do you have an umbrella policy? Do you have a will? What about trust? Do you have, your, you have two kids? Like, and he was like, I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. Then <laughs> he was like, all right, I'm good. I need you. And I was like, this guy is probably one of the smartest people I talked to. And he had no freaking clue about 80% of the conversation. He thought it was a conversation about investments, about stocks and bonds and whatever else. Wow. I'm like, that doesn't matter. Whether you make a little bit of money or lose a little bit of money has no impact on the rest of your life. But you get, you know, something happens at that rental property and somebody sues you. It's not an LLC. You don't have an umbrella policy. Your homeowners is 300 grand to sue you for a million. Guess what? $700,000 is coming out of your ass. Mm-hmm. But you never thought about it. Right. And you're going to find out when it's too late. So mm-hmm. it's so much more than just what people think it's investments. No, investments are like 20% of the conversation. Right. So after that, I was like, I have to build something that really educates people. And I had a really cool conversation with one of my best friends. He was a surgeon that went and took a job as a CEO of a hospital. And I called him. I was like, Hey, John, like, what the heck, man? Like you love surgery. And he told me, I was like, Daniel, you and I are exactly the same. We love the hugs. We love helping and teaching and you know, doing the right thing for, the, for our patients or our clients. You love the hug just like I do. But there's only so much time that we can spend in front of one person. I can mm-hmm. spend it in OR and talking to that patient and taking care of that patient. It's very limited, right? So our reach of impact is extremely small. But now I go into a hospital and I manage the care and the process and, and for the whole community worth of people that are coming in dealing with my doctors with my nurses with my process with my billing everything else Mm -hmm. now i'm touching thousands of people rather than one person at a time and so i called him when i started squire i was like hey (laughs) it was like you're doing the same thing you know you can only have so many conversations on the couch with one individual one family one business owner compared to now 
if you are able to implement Squire into a company and they have a thousand employees, your education and process now teaches a thousand employees how to be better stewards of their money, how to be better parents, how to be better husbands or wives. Now you're changing thousands of people's lives at one time compared to just one at a time. And right. I was like, yeah, I'm doing the same shit you did. <laughs> so it was great, great conversation. Yeah. yeah the, one of the things that kind of changed my perspective, Daniel, on money was just, and it's kind of what you were alluding to, I think, is there's like basically three phases of, of money, uh, money uh, knowledge, I guess. You got to learn how to make money, which you can either do actively or passively. Mm-hmm. You got to learn how to keep the money. And, um, you know, I think that's where people can get in trouble with, with like not having insurance policies or not having their assets protected. And then you got to have a way to figure out how to make your money, make babies and, uh, and multiply. Right. So, you know, I think, I think historically kind of like to your, to your point, most people that get into the workforce, you know, they, they know about your 401k and that's probably about the extent of, of their financial investment knowledge is, you know, how much money am I going to put in my 401k or maybe a mutual fund or whatever, or maybe I get some insurance or, you know, whatever, maybe they yeah. got screwed on a terribly structured life insurance policy. Right. Right. Um, but you know, what, what mistakes do you see? Like, what's a, what's one of the most common, you know, low hanging fruit type of things that you see people do that, you know, can easily be rectified. Um, if they just had a little more financial knowledge, is there one or two or three kind of first pass tips that you typically see quite often when you're educating people? Say, yeah. N- number one, especially now is overfunding 401ks just because, it, and that's just, a, that's just a tax on liquidity conversation because, you know, I don't know about anybody else, but I, I believe that we're going into higher tax brackets. So 401ks were great for our you know grandparents and parents when they were putting money away in, you know, out of a 80, 70, 60% tax brackets. And now we're at, you know, 39.6 <clears throat> for us, more than likely we're looking at a, you know, uptick in, in individual taxes. Mm-hmm. So what you're doing is you're saying, Hey, IRS, I don't want to pay taxes now when they're low and I have kids and I have a house mortgage and my, maybe a business. So I have, you know, effective low tax bracket, a lot of deductions, right. and then I want to dump a shit ton of money into the 401k. And that's going to grow because of compound interest. And now when I go to retire, house is paid off, kids are out, business is probably sold. So no more deductions. So just if you're even making the same amount or the taxes are same, which they're not, um, now you're looking at higher effective tax bracket. And now you start taking this 401k money. And this is the crazy part. Most people don't know, which is crazy to me that when you withdraw the money from a 401k, it's taxable, regular income. It's never been taxed. <laughs> they don't they're know like, that. What? Yeah. They're like, what? I got to pay taxes. Like, yes, it's a tax deferral taxable later. Right. So you have to pay taxes. You just choose and when do you want to pay today or tomorrow? Yeah. And you're betting you they're going to be lower the, later, right? Correct. Which I, if you ask any sane person, they'll tell you more than likely no freaking chance in hell that they're going to be lower than where right. you and right. I are. Right. So that's number one. Yeah. Always take the match. Roth is always a better option when it comes to taxation because you're mm-hmm. taking the, the taxes you paid it today, you put it in and then never paid the taxes on the growth later. Right. So you're taking the IRS completely out of the picture, which is fantastic. Number two, I see a good bit of people with a lot of money in savings accounts. And that's just a pure, most innocent, I don't know what to do. So I don't want to mess up action. Like you're talking 85, 100, 200, $300,000 in the savings account, just because they're like, what, you know, 
that we don't want to mess up. We don't want to lose it. So we'll just go ahead and, and keep it in a savings account. Well, lost opportunity losing. cost there. Yes. Lost opportunity cost on those dollars is huge. You know, when you tell people, Hey, listen, you know, the average of S and P 500 last, you know, 12 months, depending on how it's, it's, it's a good bit. You're talking $60,000 that you could have had, but you don't, mm-hmm. like, you know, that's, that's a, that's a thing that, that, that concept of lost opportunity cost is so lost on people. And I, you know, talk about it all the time. It's what you could have done if you did this compared to this, right? It's a cause and effect. I did this, so I didn't do that. What mm-hmm. is the cost of that, that, that thing? And third one, <clears throat> which is probably the biggest one, understanding debt and the debt is not a deterrent, but a tool rather. And that applies to, I see so many people buying cars with cash, which is probably the worst financial decision that you can make because as soon as you drop the car off the lot, it's worth you know, 15, 20% less. It's mm-hmm. a simple math calculation on loans. Right now, car loans are 0.9%, 1.2, 1.5, zero, depending on your income. I mean, sorry, credit. Where are you going to find money less than that that costs you less than that? And then yeah, the biggest thing money. is that it's free money. And the biggest thing that they don't understand is the simple compared to compound environment of, of interest. Simple means it's calculated one time and spread over the years of the loans. So mortgages and car loans are both simple math interest. Mm -hmm. Credit cards are the devil, mama said, right? That's compound interest. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. just, you talk about having babies. That's having babies, a lot of babies on top of babies. You want to pay that shit off as fast as you can. So that's, that's, that everybody knows that. But where I see the most is prepayment of mortgages and prepayment of cars. That's, that's wasted money into something where could you do something better? Than paying off a 3.25% simple math tax deductible mortgage. Right. That's what you're doing. You're like, hey, I don't want to, I don't want to make more money somewhere else. I want to go ahead and pay off this cost that's costing me 3.25 tax deductible simple. Well, that's a pretty inefficient way to put money away. <clears throat> and then the the cars is, you know, might as well burn a hundred dollar bill every time you get out, get in a yeah. car and drive it down the street because it's just worth less and less and less and less. Right. So those are, that's that, those three are probably the biggest. It's the 401k maxing out and, and, you know, being in a tax situation, people need to really look at their effective tax brackets before they make those decisions. Mm-hmm. Number two is too much money in cash. Mm-hmm. Um, just because liquidity doesn't mean it has to be in cash. You know, mm-hmm. your regular mutual funds, you can open, have them balance, have them, you know, conservative, but you're still going to make more money than 0.25%. And it's liquid. And mm-hmm. that's the biggest thing. People are like, oh, I want to have this much cash. I'm like, it doesn't have to be in a savings account. You can put it into something that you can still get a hold of. You know, I right. call it my three-day money. It takes me three days to get to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the, and then the, uh, the house and, and uh, car debt. That's a big one. That's always a big one. What are your thoughts... I love that advice. Like if, if y'all haven't heard that advice before or just hearing this for the first time, rewind this and go listen to that again. Cause absolutely fantastic tips from Daniel right there. What, what are your thoughts, Daniel, on uh, leveraging a cash value, whole life insurance as, as a savings vehicle? Cause that's, so, that's a strategy, like a, like the becoming your own bank, Nelson Nash sort of yep, philosophy. Yep. So I saw Nelson Nash speak, but 15 years ago. And uh, so I'm, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a nerd when it comes to uh, this stuff. And so I want to know like all the details and everything just because, you know, the, the, so this is what you'll find out when it comes to the financial world. And this is what we're trying to break through Squire, just giving people true education of facts rather than somebody's opinion, right? Um, the, the problem with the financial world when it comes to especially in investments and, and uh, financial planners and stuff is that you have two camps. You have the investment 
broker house camp and then you have the insurance camp. They don't like each other much because they sell different products and they get paid on different products. So they are definitely motivated to sell and learn about certain things compared to the other ones. So Merrill Lynch's, UBS's, all those guys, unless they're higher level understanding macro approach to finances will tell you always, invest in mutual funds, stock bonds, ETFs, all that stuff, max out 401k, max out Roth, you know, do the steps and simples and you know, pension plans, all that stuff to the businesses. If, if ever they even talk about term insurance, you know, I, I applaud them and, you know, God forbid, run away from any cash value policy. It's the yeah. devil. It's the worst thing ever, whatever. Yeah. But then you have Dave, the, Dave Ramsey's. Of the oh, world. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But then you have the, the insurance people who are like, oh, all you need is cash value policy. It's the best thing ever since sliced bread, like stupid investments. You're going to lose money. It's just dumb. Like, don't right, you right. want the guarantee and shit? It's like, God, man, like y'all need to talk to each other. And understand that perfect world has a piece of everything, right? So I, I was lucky enough. I would say that's luck, right? I got into the business in late 2000s. And then I, I mean, 2000, 2001. So I got, I got to live through um, September 11th, right? Aftermath, the market negative 25%. Then I also got to live through, oh, two, three, four, five, six, seven, which were just banging years. You know, everything was just making money. It's amazing. But then I got to live to 2008. And what 2008 taught me is that it was almost like a classroom-like experience, right? I got to talk to people that were great. And I got to talk to people that were losing their fucking minds. Like, oh my gosh, I can't you know, retire. I'm lost everything or 50% of everything. Like so many doctors that were 65 years old, I couldn't retire because of what happened in 2008, because most of the time they talked to the investment people, which means they have no protection of the downside. Right. Plan. And this is what I learned in 2008. Do you know who owns the most cash value policies on their balance sheets? I don't. Banks. Who knows the most about the financial world? The banks. Banks. Right. So it goes to the fact, and this is probably the biggest fallacy. One thing or the other is not the answer. And what I learned in 2008 is that the people that had some cash values that had the 401ks, that had the mutual funds, that had the stocks, that had some uni bonds, that had some real estate, they were just like, hey, shit happens. Guess what happened to my muni bonds? They're fine. Guess what happened to my cash value policies? We got 7% dividends on average in 2008. Guess what happened to my mutual fund, ETFs, stocks, bonds, I mean, not bonds, you know, 401ks, IRAs, they lost their ass, you know, 40, 50, 60%, depending on diversification inside the portfolio. So like, We're just not going to touch this right now. <laughs> Leave yeah. that alone. But we're going to, if especially if they were retirement years, we're going to go ahead and take the money out of the stuff that's up. Because what happened in 2009, if you didn't touch anything from the investment side, it went right back up into more than what you had in 2007, right. if you didn't have to touch it. So the whole point is, guess what didn't go down? And you will find a whole bunch of articles from Wall Street Journal, Forbes Magazine, Medical Economics, about UBS financial talking about like, hey, maybe we should own some of this cash value stuff because mm. when the shit hits the fan, it doesn't. It does exactly what it's done for 170 years. It goes up, which allows you to then, because you should have all the other stuff, not have to touch the market when it's down because that's when you actually realize the loss, mm-hmm. let it rebound. And then next year, 12 months later, you can go back to your asset diversification portfolio and go, which one of these is the best for my income? For this mm-hmm. year, probably not the you know muni bonds. They made about two three percent, but the market went back up by like sixty in two thousand nine. Mm-hmm. So 
what you're doing is you're putting yourself in a position of options, not one thing. You know, we, I talk to doctors all the time and they're like, I understand. I'm like, so you go into a surgery, you have one tool, that's it. 401k, that's it. How successful are you going to be? Right. If that's it. Right. Not probably not greatly successful, but if you mm -hmm. understand how to use all those assets together, then it allows you to be able to have an option. And my, my, my buddy, John, that he gave me the best analogy ever. He was like, all you're telling me is it's going to rain. It's going to snow. It's going to be hot. It's going to be cold. So probably when I look at the window, I need to have some flippy ploppies, an umbrella, a parka, some boots, <laughs> and pick out whatever the right shit is for that day. I'm go. like, man, thanks a lot for breaking out my you know wisdom to flippy floppies. But it is. Right. So, you know, when you ask about cash value policies, there is a reason why this product has been around for 170 years. And it's used mostly by huge financial institutions that know velocity of money, that know liquidity, that know guarantees, that know diversification piece in, inside of their portfolios. Mm -hmm. Why is that different than our own personal economic model? Right. Right. But right. the biggest thing, like I said, two camps, mm -hmm. depending on who you're talking to. They're going to try to sell you what they make money on sure. compared to teach you how to really build a plan that has multiple parts working together. And then you're efficient and then you have options compared to being just, you know, I have a 401k and that's it. And now I'm okay. Right. Right. Well, right. That didn't work out. Too well. <laughs> <laughs> it probably won't. We're in a unique time these days, Daniel, with inflation where it's at, at like, I think the last number I saw was what 7% or something crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, it kind of got me thinking too, cause I remember my dad talking about like his starting salary back when he started working in the like late, uh, I guess it was in the eighties. And, um, you know, I, I just, it seemed like it was so low back then, but then you think about, you know, a gallon of milk back then was less than a buck and, you know, yeah. a gallon of gas was less than a buck. And, and like, you start to think about how inflation factors into how much money we're really making. And, you know, you talk about an $80,000 Chevy, Right. And if you factor in inflation and all and all that stuff, you know, it's it, it's, 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 it's the, wild. It's the stealth tax. But, you know, I, I love the fact that the media has actually brought that to the forefront of the of the messaging where I don't know if you watched it, but like every week they kind of tell you, hey, you know, cost of chicken has risen by 33 percent, cost of that's bread, crazy. cost of milk, cost of this. So, you know, our buying power and that's what inflation is. Right. What is the dollar buy today compared to a year ago? Mm -hmm. So that that stealth tax, it's not like I didn't lose I still have a dollar. And that's probably the hardest thing that for people to understand is when it comes to inflation, I still have a dollar, but go and think about buying a gallon of gas with that. You know, I right. go, I was in college when we went to spring break, I tanked at 77 cents in Georgia on the way to Florida, you know, Daytona, nice. whatever, 77 cents today, it was four fifteen a gallon. Yeah. Do you want to talk about what that cost is to my value of that dollar? in the 20 year period. And then Crazy. you look at from a year ago to today, what gas is and chicken and I mean, everything. And that's the thing, like the, the cost of, of living mm -hmm. has increased greatly that, you know, people are like, well, I'm making a hundred grand. It sure doesn't feel like a hundred grand. No. Cause it's like, everything it goes is more away expensive. quick. It so what it like, quick. As, as we're thinking about retirement planning, you know, what, I, I feel that there's quite a few people that are getting near retirement or close to retirement and they're sitting here going, shoot, I probably don't have what I need to have to sustain this type of inflation and, and still live the lifestyle I, I was planning. How do you, how do you plan for that? And, and um, this will be my last question before we get into the kind of the closeout 
because uh, I know yeah. you're going to run here in a few minutes, but um, what, what do people do seen, to prepare for inflation? Um, that's almost impossible to prepare for because it's so dependent on economic times, you know, COVID. I mean, that's the, you know, our, our supply chain has, has broken down through all this stuff because people are not coming to work because they're, you know, they're sick. I mean, that's the, that's the truth. How many ships are out there, you know, just floating because they don't want to come and dock and deliver the goods from all over the place. So the, the, the supply chain is definitely hitting us hard. So anytime that there's, you know, a supply, it's a basic economic supply and demand. If you're, if you don't have the supply and demand, demand continues to grow, the price goes up, obviously. So it's nothing, nothing unheard of or, or nothing outside of the basic economics principles, but um, you're going to see people working longer. You're going to see people not doing what they thought they were going to do. You're going to see people, you know, the, the value of homes. And I've seen this already. The value of homes has skyrocketed. Older people are going, listen, you know, this shit was worth 200. Now it's worth 400. That can supplement what we didn't save or potentially lost or the, or the, or the inflation. So why don't we go ahead and take advantage of that or rent a little place that, you know, me and my wife can live in a two bedroom at 1200 bucks a month and take the $400,000 and do something with it. So we started seeing that a lot. So, you know, the beauty, the beauty of, of economies that where one goes, something gives, right? Mm -hmm. So like you saw inflation is up, you know, things are growing, but then the market is crushing it, right? So if you have any kind of an account, it's grown a lot over the last couple of years. And then, you know, if you do have a house and you've been in a house for a while, I mean, ask anybody around you if they've been in a house for 20, 30 years, if they even thought that they would be worth half of what they're really worth now. And, you know, getting 10 offers with 10, 20, 30, $50,000 over the asking price. So that's the give, right? So sure. just being able to look at like, hey, it's not always gloom and doom. It's like there's, 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 there's spots of light all over the place if you just focus mm -hmm. on the right stuff, right? So yeah. there's definitely a, a give in this economy and this kind of setup. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I, real estate's a great hedge against inflation. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, it I, can be. Yeah, it can be for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, Daniel, a question I love to ask, all my guests. It's been a pleasure having you. I can tell you're a guy who has a lot of wisdom, a lot of experience, and, um, and I appreciate you coming on. When I started this podcast, one of the perspectives that helped me get the motivation was the thought of how cool it would be to be able to watch my great grandpa or you know one of my ancestors having conversations like this with cool people from the past. And mm -hmm. You know, with that perspective in mind and just thinking now that we do have that technology, you know, instead of just having one picture of my great, great grandpa, right. You know, now potentially future generations may have like dozens and dozens and dozens or hundreds of podcast videos of their great, great grandpa, right. Phil talking with, you know, their great uncle, Daniel, you know, what would you want to leave those generations with if you had, a, you know, one, two, three pieces of advice what would you leave to the next generation if you could talk to them today? Uh, that's, <clears throat> that's easy. Um, the biggest thing that I've learned in this life, you know, when I, when I was considering coming to America and then made it, and I'll tell you, it was the hardest conversation I ever had. You know, my parents always told me, Hey, you know, go, you gotta, you gotta fight for your life, go stay and figure out a way to stay in America. So I came home and I was like, Hey, I found a way. I, I, I mean, you know, I got enrolled in college. I got a place, the guy's taking care of it. And my parents looked at me and said, we don't want you to go. We miss you. We love you. You know, we missed you this last year. It was really a hard thing to do. I went to visit a friend in Austria, walked around Vienna for like three or four days and came home. And I said, mom, dad, I just can't live with what if, what if 
I do well? What if this works out? What if, you know, it was hard work, right? And that what if has guided me through life in so many ways to, you know, business. And, you know, we, we bought a CrossFit gym that was just greatest thing for our family. So, you know, starting Squire, it was always, you know, I'm drawn to it. I'm passionate about it. I have an idea. I know how to do it. But like I said before, when we talked, a lot of people just don't have the, the kahunas to go and, and do something like that. So to any of my future generations, just don't live with a what if, like take a chance, do it. And you will never, ever. And I talked to, you know, I lost my dad in 2014. And the, one of the last conversations we had, he told me, it was like, and, and, you know, this is a known, a known thing. I've read it many times, but listening to it, you know, coming from my mouth, the mouth of my father, it was like, son, I never, ever regretted things I did. I only always regret things that I didn't do. I wish I would have done. And that to me is just a guiding light to be like, hey, you know, what's the worst that can happen? Can we work? Can we, can we live with the worst case scenario? Yeah. Okay. So let's go. Like that's, I just would hate for any of my generations in the future to, to not experience the best of our life because the best doesn't happen in secure, you know, darkness of your bedroom. It happens out there on the street, talking to people, learning and, and taking chances. That's the, the beauty of life, right? So what if is just not something that will stop me from not doing something. So if, if any of my future generations get to hear this, just go and live, like try. And you will never, ever worry about, oh, you know, I failed. Yeah, but you picked yourself up and, and did something else and you learned. And that's what I, I constantly teach my kids. You never fail. You either succeed or you learn. And then you're better and smarter and wiser to go next time. Like it's, but that's, I feel like that's lost on so many people. Woo. That's amazing, man. I love it. I love it, Daniel. Great stuff. Y'all go follow Daniel. His website's getsquire, S-Q-W-I-R-E.com, getsquire.com. You can find him on LinkedIn, Daniel Velichki, D-A-N-I-J-E-L-V-E-L-I-C-K-I, and um, at Squire Life, S-Q-W-I-R-E-L-I-F-E on Facebook and Instagram. Daniel, it's been a pleasure, brother. I appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah, I appreciate the time. Great questions. This is great. I appreciate it, man. If you think someone would benefit from hearing this episode or any of this content, please share it and send them over to GoLeadEverything.com to learn more. It has been amazing to hear about all the individuals who listen to and are getting value from the content here at GLE. Thank you for your support. You are the reason we do what we do. See you next time. Go Lead.